Hello everyone, this is Andre, the co-founder of Twins Tours and Travel in Jerusalem in Israel, born into a Christian Maronite family, and I'm a licensed tour guide and an ordained minister of the gospel. I have been leading numerous groups throughout the Holy Land for almost 20 years. Also, I'm an author of several books, and you can find them in Amazon. And one of the first books I wrote called One Friday in Jerusalem speaks about my life story. So join me for a journey of 10 days to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus and to understand the Bible in a deeper way with more details through the Middle Eastern perspective. Please share this podcast with your friends and families and churches and connect with me if you have any questions. Welcome everyone. We are on day number eight of the tour. We will start with the garden tomb and learn about the resurrection of Jesus. This is we will learn today. And then we're going to continue all the way with the group to the upper room to learn about the Jewish Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit came on the disciples. And then they went all the way to the temple. And we're going to go and learn about the Davidson Center, the southern steps where Peter made this famous sermon and 3,000 people accepted the message and were baptized. And we're going to be on the southern steps. And then we will end at the western wall. So this is what we will do today with the group. So our first site will be the garden tomb. We will focus on Jesus' resurrection. And we will read from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalena and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His presence was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Verse 5. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not there. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him now I have told you. Verse 8. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Then they report to the guards. And verse 11 says, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And after the chief priest had met with the elders and formed a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and instructed them, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report reaches the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Verse 15. So the guards 
took the money and did as they were instructed. And this account has been circulated among the Jews to this very day. So today we're going to focus on this scripture. I'm going to take verse by verse. And I want you to imagine with me, it is Shabbat and it is Saturday, April 4th, 33 AD in the first century. Verse 1 says, After the Shabbat, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalena and other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now we have to understand this is not only Shabbat, it's an important, unique Shabbat, because it is the Passover Shabbat. And it's very important for the religious Jews to remember Shabbat means they should not do any work or have any meetings, especially for the high priest and the religious Jews, because it's a day of rest. And look what is written in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, according to the fourth commandment. It says, remember the Shabbat day by keeping it holy. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Shabbat to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the Bible says, after the Shabbat finished, at dawn on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, Mary Magdalena and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And by the way, for you to understand, in the culture, there were so many women looking at the tomb. Not only Mary Magdalena and the other Mary, but always the Bible mentions the most important people. Because they can't mention all the women. So there were many other women than Mary Magdalena and the other Mary. Because women do things together. They go and shop together and they go and buy all the spices together and the mirth and the incense to put on the tomb. And we know about Nicodemus. He brought enough of these expensive embalming materials for use in a Jewish burial custom. And we know from historical records that shows us that the more respected an individual was, the larger the quantity of these costly materials used in the burial preparation. Every Jewish person, when he dies, we are talking about first century. First, they have to wash his body and then apply all the embalming and the materials and the spices and anoint his body with oil and mirth and to wrap the body in linen and then after that place it in the tomb. And that was the job of the men. And who had done it? The Bible mentions Nicodemus. 
and the women were not allowed to do that. The women who bought the spices uh, just brought it to give it for the Jews, for the people who are responsible to do it. And it was necessary to apply more spices and ointments as an additional show of honor and respect. And this is why the Marys went also and bought more spices. So this is a tradition to make the tomb smells very good. Until today, when we bury someone, we bring with us like smells, flowers, incense, and put it in the tomb, buried with the person. And only men go to the burial site, not the women. And till today, the flowers are a symbol of beauty and smell. So they will do it after Shabbat. The women could not do that earlier it was Shabbat a day of rest so they went and bought more spices and we have to understand a little bit about Shabbat Shabbat begins at sunset Friday night so they have to bury Jesus before the Shabbat starts remember he died at 3 p.m. so they have like three to four hours and Shabbat starts in the evening from sunset Saturday night till the next day sunset. It's not like today. Hours are different than the first century day. So the first century, the day starts from sunset to sunset. Today, it starts like midnight. It's way different. After sunset, it's considered to be another day, considered to be a third day. Even it's evening. So in the first century mindset, when Shabbat finishes 7.30, let's say, p.m., Sunday immediately starts. And any time during that after sunset is considered to be a full day. You don't partialize the day like today. Let us learn what happened on that Shabbat, Saturday, April 4th, 33 AD of the first century. The high priest went to Pilate asking from him to seal the tomb of Jesus. Let us read from Matthew 27, 62 to 66. The guard at the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the next day is Shabbat after the preparation day. So the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first Take guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know. Verse 66. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So let us look at the language of the high priest here in verse 63. They said to Pilate, Sir, this is a sign of honor and respect to Pilate, despite Pilate was a pagan Roman Gentile governor. And look what the Jews are calling him. 
They are religious Jews. Sir. And by the way, they went on Shabbat. They're not allowed to do that. They broke Shabbat. This is, shows us how much they were corrupt and manipulative. And they said to Pilate, Sir. And this is a saying to him as if making him God. All right. Look, Sir. They said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver. Look, they said for Pilate, sir, and they switched and conflicted reality. And they said about Jesus, a deceiver. This is the reason. Greed. They are afraid and confused. And they live in sin. Their eyes were distorted from what is the real Jesus. So Jesus should be sir, should be God, and Pilate should be the deceiver. And more than that, the main reason they broke Shabbat, they were afraid if Jesus is erected, he will prove them all wrong. So they broke Shabbat and hurried up to the Roman governor Pilate to save them. And if Jesus is erected, he will prove them all wrong, and he is the real God. And they knew it. They knew the sign of Jonah. They knew the books very well. And remember, they once asked Jesus, give us a sign from you. We want a sign from you. Look what is written in Matthew 12, 38 to verse 40. The sign of Jonah. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Here, the high priest asks a sign from Jesus himself. Look at the language. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. You. This is important. They want a personal. They make it personal to Jesus. From Jesus himself. And look what he answers is the sign of Jonah. They wanted to trap him, but he said it by his own words. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fist, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He talks about his resurrection. He answered clearly about himself, that he will die and he will resurrect. So then you, exactly what is Jesus talking about? Because he answered them from the Torah, from the books, from the Old Testament, that they knew very well. And when they heard that he was the Messiah, they wanted to prove him wrong. Because they knew if he rises from the tomb, he is proving the sign of Jonah. And this is he will be the Messiah. So they were so much afraid. And this is why they broke Shabbat. They went to Pilate 
to secure the tomb and bribe the soldiers. Look what is written in Matthew 27 verse 64. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. This is what they told Pilate. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. You see the lies they're saying? This last deception would be worse than the first. I'm going to talk about the last deception. What is it and what is will be worse than the first? So they were Jews. They were Torah-observant Jews, high priests. They knew the Hebrew scripture. They knew that Jesus will rise and resurrect from death. It is very important to understand that point. Now, when it says in the scripture the third day, it doesn't mean 72 hours, like three days, 24 hours a day. This is the Western mindset. In the Jewish culture, the day starts at sunset, as I said, and end on sunset. Anyway, what is the last deception? Worse than the first, what does it mean? The first deception to the Jews, they know it very well. Jesus is declaring he is the Messiah. Religious Jewish authorities kept denying that all the time. Because Jesus is declaring he is the Messiah. When they asked him for a sign of Jonah, he declared, I am the Messiah. The last deception is when he will rise up from death, proving he's the Messiah. So they talk about the first deception and the last deception. So the last deception is Jesus rising from death. So they want to prove him wrong. Look, their eyes are closed. In the temple, what happened, we know. The curtain, when Jesus died, the curtain was torn from top to down. They should be focused on that. They should be a priority to go and see what happened inside the temple. And instead of that, they did not go there. They went all the way, the high priest, on Shabbat, broke Shabbat, and went to Pilate. Because they are aware if Jesus is erected from death, this means everything he said is correct. And by the way, that was a sign. When the curtain was torn from top to down, they knew it. So they hurried up to Pilate because they knew it. Even they bribed the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb. And because they are Romans, they care only about themselves. They do not care about the tomb. They do not care about the disciples or even the one in the tomb. They have to do their duty. Normal shift is to guard the tombs. You know how many people were crucified and buried? Every day. Even Josephus Flavius tells us every month many people were buried and crucified. And the point I want to make, if they lied, they gain nothing. So they don't lie. And this is why the Jews wanted to bribe them, all right? Because they knew they can lie. Look uh, at verse 65 and 66. Even during Shabbat, the high priest bribed the Roman soldiers and dealt with money. Remember that when Judas came, he wanted to give them back the money. They didn't accept it. It was Shabbat. So they do according to their flesh. 
And they told the guards, take this money and say that his disciples stole the crop of Jesus at night. And the Roman soldiers accepted the bride. Let us continue and read verse 65 and 66. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guards. Here there are three points. We have a tomb, point number one. Point number two, the tomb is sealed. And we have Roman soldiers, Roman guards. These three points, three things are all human arrangements. These are arrangements in the flesh to stop the resurrection of Jesus. So the point that the high priest broke the Shabbat, they did work in the flesh. And we remember all the time they were accusing Jesus of breaking Shabbat. And now they break it. And by the way, Jesus never ever did break any Shabbat. He is the one who created Shabbat, so he can't break it. Let us go back to Matthew 28. We finished verse 1. The Mary is Magdalena and Mary visited the tomb. Let's read verse 2 to 4. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Imagine the Roman soldiers are on guard and suddenly a strong earthquake takes place. And they see the stone of the tomb rolling and they see an angel like a lightning sitting at the stone and dressed in pure white like snow. For sure they will be scared to death. Look what the Bible says. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. Note, it is not the resurrection. It is only an angel declaring the resurrection of Jesus. You have to understand, the resurrection already took place. The angel is only declaring about it. How? By moving the stone to show that the tomb is empty. Let us talk more about the three days and the three nights in more details. And I'm going to give you examples from the Old Testament and from the New Testament to explain what does it mean in a Jewish culture, three nights and three days, in order to understand the, the resurrection of Jesus. And as I mentioned earlier, every part of a day is considered to be a full day, including the night and the daylight till it gets dark. From sunset to sunset is one day. So the dawn is considered to be a full new day. So when the scripture says after the Shabbat finished at dawn, on the first day of the week, dawn is the next day. And the first day of the week, Sunday. Which Jesus has already been resurrected. When Mary Magdalena and the other Mary went to look at the tomb, he was already resurrected. Let us read from the Hebrew scripture from Genesis 
42, 16 to 18, speaking about Joseph, brothers released from prison. Verse 16, send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. Verse 17. And he put them all in custody for three days. Verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. Look, Joseph said, on the third day. So this is the culture. Here probably meaning after sunset they will be released so they will be released in the second day after sunset it's considered to be the third day on the third day despite not a full third day took place so according to jewish culture the day we said starts at sunset and any part of a day is considered to be a full day later let us look at another example from the New Testament. Matthew 16, 21. What Jesus himself said to explain it more. Jesus predicts his death. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day be raised to life when he will be raised on the third day what does it mean means after the second day sunset after shabbat will be sunday that starts sunday after sunset which means according to the jewish culture and custom probably he was resurrected after shabbat ended after sunset so it's still dark which will be literally sunday morning and this is why today in western cultures take saturday and sunday off work let us look at another example luke 9 22 what jesus said again himself 22 and he said the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It's so clear. Let me give you more examples. Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. And look what he told the disciples about his resurrection all the time. And look what is written in Mark 9.31. Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise again. This is the same language. There are so many scriptures speaking about on the third day, or during the third day, or after the three days. It all means the same thing. 
I'm going to take one more scripture to explain about the third day. Let us read from John 9, 19 to 21, what Jesus said about himself. Verse 19, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. What did he mean, destroy this temple? He didn't mean the temple of Jerusalem. He meant his body. Destroy this, destroy this body, and I will raise it again in three days. Verse 20, they replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. So it is normal to say after three days. In other words, Jesus is telling them, Even if you try to kill me, I will rise from death on the third day. One last scripture, even the angels declared that Jesus would be risen in the third day. Let us read from Luke 24, 3-8. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Verse 6, He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So even the angels is declaring about it. I will share with you a very clear prophecy about Jesus' resurrections on the third day. And it's from the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 to 3. It's a very important prophecy. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. Verse 2. After two days, he will revive us. So after the two days are complete, on the third day, he will restore us. So this is a clear prophecy, what I am teaching about. On the third day, means after sunset, comes a complete day. He will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Verse 3, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, what is the sun rises? Means resurrection day. He will appear, which means he will resurrect. He will come to us like the winter rains. What are the winter rains? It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit, the rain. Like the spring rains that water the earth, which means like the Holy Spirit after resurrection, with the Holy Spirit will cover the earth. As surely as the sun rises, it talks about his resurrection on the third day. And the rain is the pouring of the Holy Spirit over the world. 
So this we just read from Hesiah 6, 1-3 clearly speaks about the resurrection of the Messiah. Let us talk now about resurrection. Sunday, April 5th, 33 AD in the first century. From Matthew 28, 5 to 7. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. By now Mary has found Peter and John, and very quickly she reports, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter and John take off running. John is faster and reaches the tomb first. He peers into it and sees the linen clothes, but he remains outside. And when Peter arrives, he goes right in, he sees the linen clothes and the clothes used to wrap Jesus' head. And John now enters and he believes Mary's report. They are all overwhelmed in a good way. But Mary, who had come back to the tomb, remains there. Look what happens next. Matthew 28 verses 8 and 10. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to the tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So we can see that the women are on their way to tell the disciples that Jesus has been raised. And what happened while they were rushing to do so, Jesus himself meets them and says good day they fall at his feet and this is like obedience to him and look what jesus tells them have no fear go report to my brothers so that they may go to galilee and look what happens next in matthew 28 11 to 15 the guards report while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. You know that Roman soldiers can be put to death if they fall asleep at their work or their post or guarding the tomb. So the priests promised, if this gets to the governor's ears, we will explain the matter to him and you will not need to worry. The soldiers, as a result, take the bribe and do what the priest says. Thus the false story of Jesus' body being stolen spreads widely among the Jews. Remember that the soldiers were asleep 
And the angel appeared and waked them up, and they were scared to death. So this is very important to understand that all the way, the high priest wanted to put all the lies and make up these stories in order to deny the resurrection of Jesus. They were so much corrupt and done their best to prove he did not resurrect. Also, what happened? We know from scripture on the same day, Jesus appeared to the other woman, to Peter, to the two disciples on their way to Emmaus. And a week later, he appeared to all the apostles, Thomas included. Later still, he appeared in Galilee near the lake of Gennesaret to the seven of the disciples on a mountain in Galilee to a multitude of disciples too, also to James and finally to his disciples on the Mount of Olives where he ascended into heaven. So Jesus for 40 days were appearing to the disciples and speaking of the kingdom of God. So after this teaching in the bus, we already arriving to the garden tomb. So I gave the group a little background to understand where we are going to. Now all the group are inside the garden. So the garden tomb is another traditional place for the resurrection of Jesus. There are two places, the holy sepulcher and the garden tomb. And many Christians, especially evangelical Christians and Protestants, are confused about where the resurrection took place. Is it the garden tomb or it's the holy sepulcher? I tell you, it does not matter. He resurrected. But I will explain more from a historical and archaeological perspective. And let me start with the garden tomb. The garden tomb is a traditional site of the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And the garden is owned and administrated by the Garden Tomb Association. This is a United Kingdom-based charitable trust organization. So it's a British organization. And I'm going to give you some modern history. The Garden Tomb itself was discovered only in 1967 and was later identified as the burial place of Jesus mainly because of its location in the area that has been identified as Calvary. But I want to tell you this is a very weak tradition. Only we hear about it first in 1867 with General Gordon because he saw a shape of a large, large, like a skull. And we have no earlier documentation speaking about this location. But it became a very popular site for evangelical Christians. Why? Because it's clearly located outside the walls of the city. It is next to a place that looks like a skull. And it conforms to what one imagines when reading the gospel. And it is far easier to pray and contemplate here than in the crowded church of the Holy Sepulchre. So from the first level, from the first look for a pilgrims, it's so much like the Bible. But is the garden tomb really the tomb of Jesus? The main reason 
many evangelical Christians think this is the place is because what is written in Hebrews 13:12. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. So Jesus is mentioned in Hebrews 13:12 was crucified outside the city gate and the garden tomb is located outside the city gate of Jerusalem. And the holy sepulcher church is inside the walls of Jerusalem of today. This is the first level of thinking. Let's go more into archaeology. The walls of the city today you see from the garden tomb are modern walls. They are from the 16th century, built by the Turks. But to go back deeper, the Holy Sepulchre was inside the walls in the 1st century. Let me explain. Only only the city walls were expanded by Herod Agrippa around 41 to 44 AD and only then enclosed the site of the Holy Sepulchre. So both sites were outside the walls at the same time of Jesus during the first century. I hope this is clear. So in the first century both Golgotha were inside the walls of Jerusalem, especially the Holy Sepulchre. And later, Herod Agrippas enlarged the walls of Jerusalem, 41 to 44 AD. If you're confused, that's the right place, no worries. However, scholars generally agree that the Garden Tomb is not the actual site of Jesus' burial. Have you heard about a famous Dominican priest, a professor of the New Testament, who lived at the Ecole Biblique in Jerusalem? His name is Father Jerome Murphy O'Connor. He said there is no possibility that it is in fact the place where Christ was buried about the garden tomb and by the way a called biblique is just adjacent to the garden tomb another french order priest that they study archaeology and the tomb itself of the garden tomb is part of a dozen of tombs that is discovered in the same vicinity and there is one problem that all the tombs that are discovered are from the Old Testament era, from the 9th to the 7th century BC, which means from the first temple period. So it was not a new tomb at the time of crucifixion. So what the tomb you saw is part of many tombs. You see a wall and after the wall there, I've been there inside. There are so many tombs, and all of them are from the first temple period, which means earlier than Jesus. In addition, the burial benches were cut down in the 4th century to the 6th century in the Byzantine period to create a rock where they put the sarcophagus, radically changing the tomb. So this clearly indicates that early Christians did not believe this was the burial place of Christ because they had cut the rock and they did not recognize it in the 4th century as the tomb of Jesus. But the site of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, on the other hand, 
attracted Christians, even from the 4th century, from Emperor Constantine period. And the Garden Tomb, the UK-based Garden Tomb Association, stress that it is about the resurrection of Jesus, not about finding the exact spot of his burial. This is important. So regardless of its authenticity, the Garden Tomb is a fine place to see and understand the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And as evangelical Christians, you can identify more with this place because of the Gospel account than the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Also at the Garden Tomb, you will see a lookout at Gordon's Calvary, the shape of a skull. And it is like a large stone, huge rock formation. It's a huge quarry, by the way. And you can see the large eye sockets. And you can see that this stone structure looks like a skull. But it's originally a quarry and it was used from Herod Agrippa from 37 to 44 to build the walls, the third walls. And you have to understand that the tomb is around 100 yards west of the skull. So there's a distance between the skull and the tomb itself. And I tell you, the garden tomb is a very quiet place for worship and reflection. And there are good facilities, including drinking water, toilets, wheelchair access to the garden. It's so much westernized. But from a historical point of view, the tomb we see today is almost for sure is from the first temple period. I will share with you five points that the garden tomb, the tomb we see, is not from Jesus' time. Number one, there are dozens of tombs in this area, but you don't see it. It's behind the walls that go all the way back to the first temple period to the 7th century BC. Point number two, there is no second temple period tombs around this area. What do I mean second temple period? I mean from the time of Jesus. And we can know from the tomb architect if it's from the first temple or the second temple period. The first temple tombs are large rooms with rolling stones and you can bury the person in that large room. The second temple period architect have several rooms, more rooms. So in the second temple period, we know about Jesus' tomb had more rooms. Point number three. There are other indications that this tomb is a first temple period because during the second temple period, the tombs had two rooms, first room, and then behind it, the rock will be the burial room. But in the first temple, as I said, the rooms will be side by side. A four point. In the Bible, it says that Jesus was not buried in a new hewn burial tomb in the rock, which was given to him by Joseph of Arimathea. The tomb here was used, as I mentioned earlier, by the Byzantine in the 4th century. And we can see from the cross inside, there is a mark of a cross. This is a plastered new cross 
the original one is underneath it and also there is the alpha and the omega these are the beginning and the end of the alphabets of jesus these are the sign of jesus during the byzantine area point number five at the entrance there is a channel at the entrance of the tomb and during the second temple period they used to have rolling stone and we could see that in the king's tombs here the channel is too long which possibly is a channel was made as a place where animals eat and drink from it and it's not a channel to place a stone all right despite you see a stone standing here to the right side anyway the bottom line i don't want to confuse you the bottom line of all of this this is from the first temple period tomb and not from the second temple from the jesus time so it's earlier tomb but this is a great place to end the tour and a great place to spend some time to have communion together so most of the groups that visit the garden here will have communion and worship together and this will be the peak experience for them having communion together in the garden tomb because it's you feel the presence of the lord you feel how peaceful is here and even it's more peaceful than the holy sepulcher and you can pray and most of the groups like to do communion by the end of their trip we are in day number nine and as we are going chronologically from jesus birth to his resurrection it's nice to celebrate communion together and some groups do not have pastors with them so they ask for me to do communion i love when they do that because i never suggest myself to do it but after being with them and receiving all these teachings and they know already i'm an ordained minister of the gospel so they asked for me to do the communion for them. And that does not happen a lot because I always respect the pastors and give the pastors to do it. But in case if there was no pastor in the group, the group mostly asked for me. And what I do, I start to explain about communion and share with them five points, five progressive points that lead us to understand what is communion. And I'll start to explain that communion is to, number one, is to remember. It's about remembrance. And I tell them, remember when the Jewish people went all the way out of Egypt during Exodus. So that is the Passover meal, to remember Exodus, that they were saved out of Egypt. And Jesus, when he resurrected out of the tomb, we remember how he saved us from sin. He became our exodus. He saved us from death. So it's very important to remember. Number two, after remembering what Jesus done to us, it comes the point to examine ourselves. Examination. So we have to examine our hearts where we are standing today with Christ always the jewish people were examining themselves when after they went out of egypt and were crossing in the desert remember moses was with them so a period of examination we have to pass through and this is what communion do 
And after we examine ourselves, point number three, come to confess, confession. We will confess our sins and repent. Repentance is so important because when we repent, it brings the presence of the Holy Spirit and bring our hearts to the Father. And remember, in the desert, the Jewish people repented from their sins in order for them to enter to the promised land. And after repentance is point number four, relationship. We can have a pure relationship, a healthier relationship with our Creator. And we can have a healthier relationship with each others. And it's important to do that. It's all about relationship. It's all about God, Son, and Holy Spirit. When resurrections took place, Jesus restored us to the Father with His Spirit. And as a result, point number five, what communions do to us is put us in fellowship together, that we can worship Him together as a community entering the house of rest and being content in his presence. And remember in the Old Testament, they entered to the promised land together as a community with the leadership of Joshua and Caleb. So it's very important to worship the Lord. And at these moments, when people understand what is communion, and I'm explaining about the resurrection of Christ and His power and His Holy Spirit. A tangible presence of the Lord will be present in doing communion. So with the presence of the Holy Spirit among us, we get prepared to take the elements. And I like to read from Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. While they were eating... Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. So I will pass the bread for the people in the group to receive it. Then I would continue to read verse 27. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. So I will pass the cups. Verse 28. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then I say to them, let us eat from Jesus' body. So all of us eat the bread. Then I raise the cup and I say, let us all drink from the cup, his covenant with us, his blood with us. And we're going to, we'll have communion together and the presence of the lord is so strong and that i will ask from one of the worship leaders on the group and usually we will have a guitar with us and i will ask from the group to recite one worship song or two worship songs with the presence of the lord and I can see the group is starting to tear up and because they are understanding more the Bible with the presence of the Holy Spirit and communion. And this is like day number nine is the peak 
of what we've been learning all these 10 days and I can see that they are so much encouraged and the same power of the resurrection of the Holy Spirit the same spirit that Jesus had resurrected out of the tomb the people are living it the life of resurrection the life of being empowered by the Holy Spirit and I encourage the people to go back home and live in the spirit of resurrection and live victorious over sin and all the group is worshiping the Lord from their hearts and this is the moments I am so happy and I'm so content because I can see every person life changed and every person life has been touched by the power of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And I pray that your life has been touched during listening to this podcast and you got encouraged by the reality of understanding scripture. And the more you understand scripture, the more you understand Jesus himself and revelation. I pray that during this podcast, revelation took place and you are walking in the spirit of the Lord and your life has been encouraged in Jesus' name.